Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Jesus Is. We will be looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus made. Here's Pastor Nick. Hey, everybody, would you please open in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We're currently in a series called Jesus Is, in which we're looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus made that are recorded in the Gospel of John. So today is the third week in this series, and I'm excited to get into it with you. John, chapter 10, please bow your heads with me as we pray and open God's Word. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, that for those of us who are afar off, Lord, you have brought us near. Lord, thank you that you are the way in to relationship with God for us. And Lord, we come to your word now desiring to understand, desiring to be transformed, and desiring, Lord, that it would would prompt us to respond in the right way with our heads, with our hearts, and with our hands. We pray that you'd help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, years ago when I was living in Hungary, a couple from the church that I was serving at was getting married, and they were getting married in another city about an hour from where I lived, and everyone in our church was invited to go to this wedding, so I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll go along too, and I got, I got a ride with some friends in their car, so we drive up to the city, like I said, it's about an hour drive away, and the ceremony was first, the ceremony was held in an old traditional church building, and then after the ceremony, Everybody had to travel to a different part of that city to a place where the reception was being held. Now, I had never been to a Hungarian wedding before, but I really was excited to attend a Hungarian wedding because I had heard how great they were, right? Like, they are great. Uh, Now that I've been to a few, right, I can tell you. They go on until the wee hours of the morning. There are games, like the bride gets kidnapped at one point. Somebody's drinking champagne out of a shoe. There's, like, folk dancing. And the best part, my favorite, is that at midnight, they feed you a second dinner. And that's, that's cool. I was excited because I had heard about Hungarian weddings. I'd never been to one at this point in my life. So, you know, we pull up in the parking lot of this place where the reception's being held. And uh, we get out of the car. We walk up to the door. And at the door, there's this person standing there with a clipboard. And they're checking the names to make sure everybody's name is on the list before they let you into the wedding reception. So I come. It's my turn. You know, I say my name. And then they check the list. And then and I say my name again. And they check the list again. And guys, my name was not on the list, okay? So you see, something I didn't know about Hungarian weddings is that it's common practice to invite anyone and everyone to attend the ceremony at the church, but only a select number of people are invited to the reception. And uh, that select number of people was basically like everybody I knew except for me. And my, my friends were like, yeah, didn't you receive a, an invitation? I was like, no, I just assumed that we were all invited. So because my name wasn't on the list, the person guarding the door would not let me in. So I went and sat in my friend's car uh, while everyone else was inside, including Pastor Mike. He was there. He was telling me this morning how great it was. And... Uh, he was, everybody's enjoying having, I could hear the party, but I was sitting out in the parking lot in the car, and this is before smartphones. You remember what we did before smartphones? We just did nothing. We just like sat there and just like blank stare, right? That was what I did. At one point, I just got out of the car. I went for a walk for like over an hour, and then uh, it got cold because the sun went down, and I didn't have a jacket because I was planning to be inside, 
And so I went and I just was like, I'm cold. I'm sitting in this car. Car's cold. And then I had another problem. I really needed to go to the bathroom. Remember, these things drag on for hours. So I thought about some different options for doing that. And then I figured, you know what? I, I went up to the door and I asked this guy who was guarding the door if I could please just come inside for a minute to use the bathroom and warm up. And he allowed me to do that, but he made it very clear that I was not allowed to join in any of the festivities. That was his job, to guard the entrance. Unfortunately for me on that day, I was on the outside, not on the inside. I wonder if there are any of you who have ever felt that way in any situation in your life. You were on the outside, not on the inside. And how many of you have ever wanted to gain access to somewhere or something but in order to do it, you had to find a way in. There had to be a way for you to get in. You see, the nature of walls is that walls create separation. And that's not always a bad thing. There's a good reason why your house has walls, is to keep you inside and other people outside. So walls can be a good thing, but that's the nature of walls. They create separation. On the other hand, the nature of doors is that doors create access. They create opportunities for entering in, which is why it's so interesting that when Jesus says these seven statements there in the Gospel of John describing who he is and what he does, one of the statements he makes is, I am the door of the sheep. So in today's study, we're going to look at this passage. We're going to learn what it means and how it applies to us today. The title of today's message is, Jesus is the door of the sheep. And here's what we're going to see in the passage today. As the door of the sheep, Jesus provides us with security, salvation, and abundant life. So security, salvation, and abundant life. We'll take that sentence, and that'll be our outline as we study this passage today. So let's look at the first part of this. As the door of the sheep, Jesus provides us with security. Okay, so the Gospel of John chapter 10 begins with Jesus saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. In order to understand what Jesus is saying here, you need to understand the setting in which he said it. And that setting is found in the verses which come right before this in the Gospel of John chapter 9. So in chapter 9, that's where we get the setting for what Jesus is saying and who he's saying it to here in chapter 10. Now here's the, the situation. In John chapter 9, Jesus was in Jerusalem with his disciples right after this big feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus is walking with his disciples and they pass by a blind man who was begging on the road and Jesus healed him of his blindness. It was a genuine miracle. Lots of people had seen this man begging for years. They passed by him a thousand times. This man's own parents, who had raised him from a child, who had always known that he was blind, they testified to the fact that he was blind and now he could see. Everybody was amazed. Everybody was overjoyed, except for one group of people, and those were the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees were the social and religious conservatives of that time. They were the conservatives of that time, socially and religiously. They were people who took the Bible seriously, and they felt that it was their job to guard and protect the Jewish culture from the liberal influences that were floating around in their time. The problem was that sometimes in their zeal for the truth, they often went too far. And 
in going too far, they often completely misrepresented the heart of God. And Jesus was in the habit of pointing that out to them when they did it. And for that reason, they didn't really like Jesus. In fact, they didn't like him at all. Because not only was he not part of their group, but he was vocally critical of things that their group said and did. And so the Pharisees did everything they could to discredit Jesus and to prevent people from following Jesus because they knew that if people started following Jesus, that would take away from their power, influence, and authority. And, and I want to stop right here and say this. I find this really fascinating. The Pharisees were unwilling to even consider the possibility that Jesus might actually be who he claimed to be, that he might be the Messiah, the promised Savior of the world. They were unwilling to even consider it or think about it, really, because they were afraid of what it might mean for their power, influence, and authority. In other words, what they would, be, what they would lose if, in fact, Jesus was who he said he was. You see, they were unwilling to honestly look at the evidence, honestly look at Jesus, because they were afraid of what they might lose if they acknowledged him as Lord. And I wonder how many people today are in that same boat. I wonder if any of you here today are in that same boat yourself, doing that exact same thing. I remember myself as a young person. I remember being afraid of what I would lose if I really, truly began following Jesus. And maybe there are some of you here today, and you're hesitant to really consider following Jesus wholeheartedly because you're afraid of what you might lose if you did. Maybe you're afraid that it would cost you a relationship. Maybe that you're afraid that you would lose respect in the eyes of your peers. Maybe you're afraid of losing connection with loved ones or family members. Jesus' disciple, Peter, on one occasion, he brought this up with Jesus. He said, Jesus, look, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus responded and said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. What Jesus is saying there is this. Yes, if you follow me, there very well may be a cost. You very well might lose some things. But listen, the reward of what you will gain in return will be so much greater that it's just incomparable. The reward for following Jesus, notice what else he says there. It's not only that you will go to heaven when you die. It is also something that you experience here and now in this life. Now, that's important because it says there in chapter 9 that the Pharisees, they were going around and they were threatening people. And they were saying that if anyone said that Jesus was the Christ, they would kick them out of the synagogue. Now, listen, to be a Jewish person that day, to be kicked out of the synagogue was one of the worst things that could possibly happen to you. Because it meant that you would no longer be considered a Jew. You would not be allowed to participate in Jewish religious ceremonies. You would be considered a pariah. You, no one would want to hire you. People would avoid you. They wouldn't associate with you. And the Pharisees were holding this threat over people's heads and telling them, don't you dare talk positively about Jesus. Don't you dare even consider following Jesus, because if you do, we will kick you out of the synagogue. They considered themselves to be the gatekeepers 
of who was in and who was out. And so it says there in chapter 9, verse 34, that because this man who had been healed of blindness, because he insisted that Jesus had healed him, they did cast him out. They excommunicated him from Judaism. And after that happened, it says that Jesus heard what had happened to this man, and Jesus went and found the man, and he talked to him. So here in John chapter 10, as we begin this chapter, this is the setting. Jesus is talking to this man who was healed of blindness and then got excommunicated by the Jewish religious leaders for telling the truth and saying that Jesus healed him. Also there with Jesus are his disciples. And we're told in chapter 9, verse 40, that some of the Pharisees were also present at this time when Jesus said these things. The Jewish people had always used a, a metaphor to understand who they were and who God was. There's a metaphor that's used throughout the Bible, and that is the metaphor of sheep and a shepherd, right? So the people of Israel would call themselves the flock of Yahweh, and he himself was their shepherd. God was their shepherd. You know, like Psalm 23, the most famous song of Israel. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 100, which we read for our call to worship today, it says that the Lord is our God. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. But in the same way that not every sheep belongs to the same shepherd, in the same way not every person belongs to God's flock. There are people out there, for example, the Bible tells us, who are like sheep without a shepherd. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, that when Jesus looked out over the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You know, to be a sheep without a shepherd is different than being a horse without a rider or a dog without an owner. You see, to be a sheep without a shepherd is a very dangerous thing because sheep have no natural defenses. Right? When was the last time you, know, you were out in the country and you just saw some wild sheep just roaming the prairie, right? You don't see it. You might see. Now, we have, we have bighorn sheep in Colorado, but they have defenses, right? The kind of sheep we're talking about, those fluffy little guys, they have no natural defenses, and they tend to kind of get themselves into problems and situations from which they need to be rescued, so by God telling us that we are like sheep and he is like a shepherd, God's saying a lot. There's a lot in there that God's telling us about who we are as people, what our tendencies are, and who he is as God. Another thing God tells us is that even though he is the ultimate shepherd, the supreme shepherd, he also appoints people at times to act as under shepherds, right? Under him, the great shepherd. They're like sub-shepherds, if you will. Uh, assistant shepherds who serve under him. And their job is to lead the people in his ways here on earth in practical things. So, for example, in the book of Numbers, Moses and Joshua are appointed as shepherds of the people of Israel. The spiritual leaders of Israel throughout the prophetic books are referred to as the shepherds of the people. In the New Testament, the word pastor is simply the Latin word for shepherd. But if you look at Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34 you'll see something really interesting. There, God rebukes the spiritual leaders of Israel at that time for failing to shepherd his people well. 
So here in John chapter 10, Jesus is evoking the same imagery of sheep and shepherds. And here's what he says. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. A sheepfold was an enclosure which provided security for sheep to protect them from predators and thieves. Now many Jewish households, most Jewish households at this time, at least owned a couple of sheep. Right? And so in a village, in a Jewish village, it was common that there would be a community sheepfold. Right? And so the community sheepfold was the place where at nighttime, all the families in the village would bring their sheep at night for safety. And these sheepfolds were surrounded by a stone wall usually. Right? So a high stone wall to keep out wild animals. Uh, and the stone wall would be completely encircling the place with only one break in the wall, and that was the entrance. And that one entrance would be guarded by a watchman, and it was his job to sit in the entrance. And so he sits in the entrance all night long. In other words, the watchman himself is the gate to the sheepfold, and nothing can get in or out without passing through him. So if you saw somebody climbing the wall of a sheepfold, you would know that person is not a shepherd. They're a thief or a robber. Because here's why. They're trying to get into the sheepfold through an unauthorized route. Through an unauthorized route. And why would they do that? Well, they, did, they wouldn't do that to go in and pet the sheep or to feed the sheep or say nice things to the sheep. They would go in there to use the sheep for their own personal benefit. Now, in contrast to that, Jesus says this in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. So just checking, right? Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's talking about the Pharisees, and he's saying that they have entered in amongst the flock of God in an unauthorized way. In other words, the Pharisees were not appointed by God to be the leaders of the people of Israel. The Pharisees were self-appointed leaders. They were acting, they had taken it upon themselves to act as if they were the gatekeepers of God's kingdom. As if they got to say who's in and who's out when it comes to being right with God. Remember, the Pharisees just kicked this guy out of the synagogue and they were threatening to kick other people out of the synagogue. That's the setting that Jesus is speaking into. They were acting as if they were the gatekeepers, as if they decide who's in and who's out when it comes to God. And Jesus is saying, no. Those guys are not the gatekeepers. God did not appoint them to that position. They appointed themselves. The office of Pharisee, look, at, look in your Old Testament. Read the whole thing. Here's what you'll find. There is no biblical ordained position that they were filling. Right? They, these guys were self-appointed leaders. They were seeking for themselves power, prestige, influence over others. And rather than helping people know God and walk with God, they were actually creating barriers that prevented people from coming to God who wanted to come to God. Look at how Jesus described it in Matthew 23, verse 13. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for neither you uh, yourselves enter nor do you allow those who would enter to go in. On the one hand, the true shepherd, or sorry, on the other hand, the true shepherd of God's people 
the one who was actually authorized by God and appointed by God to lead the people, he would come, Jesus said, not by jumping over the wall, not by appointing himself, but through the authorized route, the authorized entrance. In Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. These are really important passages for this, this section. Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. God promised that one day he would send a true shepherd to shepherd his people, and that true shepherd would be the Messiah. The Messiah, unlike the Pharisees, would come in through the authorized channels, if you will. Rather than jumping the wall or appointing himself, he would enter through the gate with the approval of the gatekeeper. Who's the gatekeeper in this analogy there in verse 3? The gatekeeper of God's sheepfold who decides who's in and who's out is God himself. You see, unlike the Pharisees who appointed themselves as leaders, the Messiah's role was foretold by God in the scriptures. He was the one appointed by, anointed by, sent by God. And the true shepherd, the Messiah, verse 3 says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." You know, this is actually true of sheep. Sheep learn the voice of their shepherd, and they'll follow the voice. They'll come at the call of the shepherd. They'll follow the voice of the shepherd, whereas they won't follow the voice of a stranger. In the same way, Jesus is saying, the reason people are following me is because they recognize that I am the true shepherd of their souls. The Pharisees were trying to control people with fear and coercion, but people were following Jesus because when they heard his words, they resonated in their hearts. They recognized the voice of their creator, the shepherd of their souls. How many of you have had that experience? The voice of Jesus, the word of God, when you hear it, it resonates in your heart. Why? Why? Here, Because your soul recognizes the voice of its true shepherd, the one you were created to know, the one you were created to follow. These are not the words of a thief or a robber who wants to use you or take advantage of you or abuse you. These are the words of a shepherd who wants to lead you to green pastures beside still waters, the one who will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, the one who will use his rod and his staff not to hurt you, but to comfort you. As Jesus used this beautiful analogy, he paused for a moment. And in verse 6, we read that the people said, Huh? What does that mean? Right? They just didn't even understand. So Jesus said, okay, let me say it again. Verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. That's verse 7. And he says in verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, this is interesting because Jesus has said that he is the true shepherd of God's people. In other words, he is the Messiah. But now he's also telling us something else. He's telling us that he is also the gate for the sheep. Now, remember, the gatekeeper of the sheepfold was himself the gate for the sheep. He would sit in the entrance and personally he would be the gate. Nothing came in or out except by passing through him. And remember that the gatekeeper we talked about in verse 3, the analogy there, 
Jesus was talking about God. So when Jesus tells us that he, in fact, is the gate for the sheep, understand, here's another instance in which Jesus is identifying himself as God. You see, throughout these seven I am statements that are recorded for us here in the Gospel of John, this is a recurring theme. In all these statements, Jesus is both telling us something about himself and declaring that he is God come to us to save us and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So as we talked about last week, even the use of this phrase, I am, it is so loaded with meaning and emotion for the Jewish people because it's a reference to the name of God given to Moses when God sent him to Egypt. You see, in each of these I am statements, Jesus is telling us something about who he is and what he does. By calling himself the door of the sheep, Jesus is telling us that the only way to enter into relationship with God and become part of God's flock is through him. You see, walls create separation, but doors create access. So the fact that there's a sheepfold means that there is a separation. It means that not everybody belongs to God's flock. Some people are on the outside of the fold, and some people are on the inside of the fold. But here's the good news. There is a way for people who are on the outside to come in. There's a door. There's a point of access. Through Jesus, those on the outside can get in. Look at how Paul describes it in his letter to the Ephesians. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For through him, it says in verse 18, we have access to the Father. You see, as human beings, by default, the Bible tells us, we are on the outside of God's sheepfold. By nature, because of our sins, our shortcomings, our trespasses, and our failures, we are separated from God. We are on the outside, if you will. But the incredible promise of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of John tells us in chapter 1 is this, that to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. In other words, the way to go from being on the outside to being on the inside is through Jesus. He is the door. Now think about what that means, to be on the inside versus being on the outside. Remember the first part of our sentence? As the door of the sheep, Jesus provides us with security. So what is the security that we have through Jesus if we have entered into God's sheepfold and become part of God's flock? Is it security from bad things ever happening to you? Oh, of course not. Jesus said that in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a, yeah, that's a Bible promise. It's not the kinds of Bible promises people tend to like, but that's a Bible promise. Okay, here's another one. Is it security from sickness, poverty, injury, or grief? No. I mean, in, in a sheepfold, sheep still bite each other. Sheep still get sick and sometimes even die. So what is the security that we have as part of the family of God and the flock of God? Well, think about it. The benefit of being in the sheepfold is that the gatekeeper himself is the gate. Nothing can come in or out except passing through him. And what that means is the gatekeeper is there to protect you and to help you. And in the sheepfold, nothing can get to you without the gatekeeper's permission. 
And this is the promise we have as children of God, that everything that comes into your life has passed through the hands of an all-knowing, providential God who loves you. And he is working all things together for good according to his purposes. For those who have entered into God's flock through faith in Jesus, you have the security of knowing that there is nothing in heaven or on earth that can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You have the security of knowing that you belong to him and nothing can ever snatch you out of his hand. Not sin, not death, not the devil, nothing. If you are his, you have the security of knowing he will never abandon you. He will carry you through this life and for all of eternity. This security we have in Jesus, you know what it means? It means that you have nothing to fear, neither in life nor in death. And therefore, you can look all of life, anything that this life throws at you, you can face it with confidence. You can look hardship and even death right in the face and not even flinch because you know that God is with you and he will redeem even the most difficult things you face and use them for good and for his purposes and in him eternal life, heaven, it awaits you once this life is over. You see, here's how Paul describes this situation, this security we have, this confidence we have. Paul says, you know what it's like? It means that we are more than conquerors. How's that even possible? How can you be more than a conqueror? Isn't a conqueror like the best thing you can be? Well, here's how. You see, if you're in the fold, if you're in God's fold, then even the worst things that could ever happen to a person in this life if you are in Christ, those things can actually become the best things that ever happened in this life. In other words, you can't lose. No matter what happens, you win. You see, he will use hardship and suffering, even for good, to draw you closer to himself. And he'll even use those things to accomplish good things and his purposes in other people's lives and in the world. And if you die, that will literally bring you to him where there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. In other words, no matter what happens, you cannot lose. You are more than a conqueror. That is the security that we have in Jesus. And this security we have in Jesus, you know what it does? It gives you freedom, doesn't it? When you have that kind of confidence, that kind of security, it sets you free. It sets you free to take risks. It sets you free to be radically generous with what God has given you. It sets you free to be forgiving those who have hurt you. It sets you free to serve and sacrifice because you know that you have security in knowing what awaits you once this life and your time here on earth is over. But not only security, as the door of the sheep, Jesus provides us with salvation. He says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out, go in and go out and find pasture. Imagine if you were sitting in your house one day and you're starting to take a nap and suddenly I burst in your front door and I run over to you and I grab you and I throw you on my shoulder like a fireman and I just carry you out, outside into your yard and I set you down in the middle of the street and I say, you're welcome. And you say, what was that, man? You would be confused. In fact, you'd be upset. Why did I come into your house uninvited? You'd be mad at me. You're like, I was trying to take a nap. Why did you do that? And I say, hey, why aren't you more thankful? And you say, I was fine. I say, I just rescued you. You say, I didn't need to be rescued. I was fine. I was taking a nap. You see, in order for you to appreciate what Jesus has done for you, you need to understand why you need to be saved and what you need to be saved from. Think about it. If, if you and I were standing next to some train tracks and I said, Hey, 
let me show you how much I love you. And I threw myself in front of a train and died. You would say, well, that was, that was weird. <laughs> it seemed a bit unnecessary. And for many people, that's how they feel about the death of Jesus. I see that he died, but it seemed a bit unnecessary. You see, unless you understand what you needed to be saved from, it won't mean very much to you. It won't grab you by the heart. It won't communicate that someone loves you. I had some friends a few years ago who almost died in their house from carbon monoxide poisoning. The carbon monoxide in their house, it was building up, and it was completely invisible. It had no smell, and it was filling their house, and it was killing them. But here's how. They were becoming drowsy, and they wanted to go to sleep. And in many ways, I think that's a perfect picture of where many people are at today. There's this invisible thing from which they need to be rescued, this thing which is killing them, but it's lulling them to sleep so that they don't even realize there's a problem until it's too late. Friends, Jesus came to save you, but what do you need to be saved from? He came to save you from the enemies of your soul, from sin and from death. He came to save you by doing for you what you have failed to do on your own. He lived a perfect life, a life of perfect obedience to God, which none of us have succeeded in doing. He died a sacrificial death in your place for your sins on the cross, and he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven to make a way, to pave the way for you to rise from death to eternal life in heaven as well. The way to be saved from death and destruction is by entering into relationship with God through Jesus. He's the door. He's, through him, we can gain access to God and we can gain access to salvation and eternal life. But you know what? It's not just security and salvation. But as the door of the sheep, Jesus also provides us with abundant life. He says in verse 10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus didn't only come so that you can have eternal life when you die. He also came so you can have abundant life here and now. In the book of First Chronicles, uh, chapter 4, we read about a man named Jabez who prayed a really interesting prayer. And he said in his prayer, here was part of his prayer, he said, Lord, keep me from doing evil so that it will not grieve me. Keep me from doing evil so that it will not grieve me. I think that's interesting because many times we think about sin as saying, I shouldn't sin because it will grieve God. But Jabez understood something very true, which is that when I sin, it doesn't only grieve God. It also causes grief and hardship in my life as well. You see, there's a common belief in our society that happiness is found in doing the things that God says not to do, right? In other words, hey, you want to be happy? You want to have some fun? Find out what God says not to do and do that thing. But the truth is that God loves you and he wants to protect you from grief and sorrow that those things lead to. You see, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, it is a full, rich, exciting life. It is a life of giving and serving and partnering and enjoying the good fruit that God brings out of it. It's a life free from the unnecessary hardships caused by stupid sins. 
It's a life that has purpose and meaning. A life spent being part of something that is bigger than yourself. A life that is truly rewarding because it has actual, lasting, eternal value. Friends, God has a purpose for your life here on earth, and he wants you to experience the richness of that redeemed life even here and now. Jesus is the door of the sheep. And unlike that gatekeeper in Hungary who wouldn't let me into the wedding except to use the bathroom, Jesus calls and invites you today to come, to come into the sheepfold and be part of the flock of God. And the way to enter in and receive forgiveness of sins, acceptance by God, security, salvation, and abundant life is not by anything that you can do to earn it. It's God's gift to you if you will receive it. So for you who are here today, maybe you've never stepped over the threshold that Jesus invites you into. He's calling you to do that today. You can enter into this new and abundant life by putting your trust and your faith in him today. What he did for you to save you from sin and death. And for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, understand he invites you to come to him, to enter into his sheepfold once again today to experience rest, healing, and restoration for your soul in his presence today. Friends, as the door of the sheep, Jesus provides us with security, salvation, and abundant life. Would you please bow your heads with me? And let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.